Welcome back to The Magic in Mining. My name is Kerry Stevenson and I'm on the sidelines of the Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco. It's great to be here and I managed to snaffle some time with Rob McEwen. Now our listeners will know quite a lot about you, Rob, but for those that don't, he's the chief owner and chairman of McEwen Mining. He owns 24% of McEwen shares. He's invested $161 million into the company. And most importantly, because you all know my passion about this, his salary, drumroll, is one dollar. US. US. <laughs> Not Aussie, one US dollar per annum. No bonuses, no options. And let's go back to a little bit of the earlier history. So you began your career with Merrill Lynch, so on the investment banking side. Oh, even before side. that. Even before that. My father was in the investment industry, so he had me charting stocks when I was 10 and 11. Wow. And I started investing at 12. And wow. um, after undergraduate, I went into the investment industry and then went back to graduate school and uh, went to Merrill after working in doing research and sales and then went from Merrill bought control of my father's brokerage firm and built it and then stepped into the mining industry after 18 years in the investment industry. So you, so you cut your cloth on the, in the investment industry. Yes. And then you got interested in gold mining. Oh, so I've been interested right, right from, from the age of 12. Day one. It, was, okay. it was sort of, my father got very interested in the mid-60s in gold, put all his clients into gold bullion, South African and Canadian gold mining shares. and. Uh, that's when gold was $35 an ounce. So it's part of your DNA. It's very much part of my DNA. And we will speak about DNA in a moment. But um, tell us how you got started, because you took over a very unloved, you know, when you got personally involved in the gold mining industry, it was when gold was quite depressed. Yes. Uh, I think you took over a very unloved asset, and there were some challenges around that. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I bought a company called Dickinson Mines. It was subject to a takeover bid. I came in, did a broadside on the hostile bidder, and ended up getting control of the company. And I moved from the investment industry, where if you have an investment and you don't like it, you can sell it. You're out of it in three days. And when I, what I found in the mining industry is that I just planted both my feet in a vat of quick-drying cement, and I could not get out in three days. And I found, I'd, I'd ask questions like, why are we doing it this way? Right. Why was my favorite question? And I always got answers that perplexed me. So it's why aren't we looking at alternatives? And uh, we bought a mine that was high cost. It had, it, everybody thought it had a life of less than three years, it, bad labor relations, hit long history of strikes. And, uh, but it was right next door to a mine that was quite rich, owned by Placer Dome, the Campbell Mine. And both mines had started about the same time in the late 40s. The mine I bought had been starved of capital for 15 years. The other mine next door had been the recipient of over $100 million in CapEx. So I thought, well, we should start exploring again. And we, I gave them $10 million after I got rid of all the debt. And a couple of months, well, four months later, they, my chief geologist came back and said, we've got uh, some drill holes you might like. And I said, what are they? And he said, well, we have an average grade of the nine holes is nine ounces of gold per ton over an average width of eight feet. This is the average. Wow. So that's like almost 300. 
Was this the first news that you got? I mean, you know, so just just take me through, take our well, listeners through that. We, there was a debt equity ratio of one to one, and I spent a couple of years putting a few pieces together because there were five companies in a chain, and over a period of eight years, I compressed it into one. Right. Three corporate restructurings, but it was all about buttressing the cash flow and then cleaning the debt off the balance sheet and then putting money into the company into exploration. So I had felt this mine had been starved of exploration, so let's put it in. And they right. came back and we got this and it was like a rocket ride. You're holding on with your fingernails to the tail of the rocket as it zooms off after those press releases and we drilled and we kept our exploration going. Um, the union um, had been there a long time and I thought we needed new technology in the mine, a new attitude in the mine, and they didn't agree with me, so they went out on strike. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that because that was, that was a very challenging time. Did you get them on side? Did you clear them off? I mean, how did you manage that? The strike, went, the strike went for 46 months. We didn't produce an ounce of gold from the mine. It was with the United Steel Workers. I got a death threat out of it. Wow. Um, but you refused to back down? No. Yeah, well, I, I ran an ad in the local paper and put a $35,000 bounty on the head of the person who wrote the letter. It was an anonymous letter, but six, of course guy, it was. six guys left town uh, in the first week, never came back. Um, I hired a detective firm. They were all past undercover detectives of the police force. And they said, we look like cops, we were cops, talk like them. They set up a system of malls in the union, and we were getting information every week. Uh, we posted this reward, a secret call-in line, confidential call-in line, $35,000 reward. In the end, the union came to me and said, uh, we'll, we'll take your last offer. And in the negotiations, every time we went back to the table, I offered them less. Right. Because the gold price was going down. And they found that a little unusual. Management's right. supposed to go up. And they, they said, we better accept it now because, because otherwise you'll we're, get down we were going into production. We tore down the old mine, built a state-of-the-art plant, and I said, look, either you guys are getting on side or you're going to be on that picket line for a long time because we're going into production. And we went from producing 50,000 ounces a year to 500,000 ounces a year at that mine. Our costs went from $360 an ounce to $60 an ounce. What? Really? We had a 60-fold increase in the economics. And so Gold Corp was a darling in the market. We, uh, the last 13 years I ran the company, our share price compounded annually at better than 31% a year. Wow. And we outperformed Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, yeah. and everybody in the North American mining industry. So, very happy shareholders. So, tell us about and why... And I was the largest individual shareholder. As you are right now yes. in the current McEwen Mining. So, tell us about the jump from Gold Corp, which you built up very successfully. What made you decide that you wanted to go again and do, do McEwen Mining? And, and was there another... Did you see another opportunity out there? Or what's... Give us the background. To I the saw challenge. lots of examples, you know, prospectors going out and finding new deposits. And so I was always of the mind, there are more deposits to be found. Now, when your share price has gone from maybe 30 cents to over $40, which Gold Corp had done, um, I'm going, how am I going to do that again with this company? And it, the larger you get, the harder it is to get that type of increase. So I thought, 
it's time to step away. I looked at the corporate governance nonsense that's going on, uh, boards not having ownership and dictating things, and the legal and the accounting profession creating very, very confusing documents for yeah. shareholders. And I said, this is unfair, this isn't right, and I don't want to be part of it. So my bank account had grown to quite a size, and I said, it's time for me to leave. We had $400 million in cash in the company. We had no debt, uh, and we were the lowest cost gold producer in the world. And I just said, this is the ideal I've, time I've, to step off. I'm leaving you in very good shape, yes. and now I'm going to go again. And then I was looking around, and I had actually thought I was going to do something in the internet because in 2000 we had a contest called the Gold Corp Challenge where we asked the world to tell us where we'd find the next six million ounces of gold in our mine and offered half a million dollars in prize money. Now, which company? Gold Corp. Yeah. What did your geos and your technical team say when you said, you know what we're going to do, we're going to do open source with all of our data? They said, did why? Why would you do that? They said, someone's going to take us over. And I said, if they're going to take us over, uh, they're going to pay a premium. And you have options. You're going to be in the money. You always had to look at the benefit to the to person. The, yeah. And then our chief geologist said, well, I'm not sure how the world will look at this. And I'm going, Briex had happened a year or two before. Wow. So there was a lot of nervousness mm -hmm. in the market. And our results, our grades were way off in the stratosphere. And so they're saying, well, maybe they won't believe us. And I said, um, You've been telling me you've been using the best methodology. Do you still believe that? Yes. And I said, well, then we're going to put it out there. Myself, I thought, well, let's test the world and see if the <laughs> world thinks it's the best, best methodology because there will be a red flag on the game and uh, I don't want to go way out on a branch and lose all our credibility. So we put it out there. We also had our neighbor, they coveted our asset. And they were six times our size, and they had geologists that had worked for us, working for them. And I'm thinking, well, how do I level the playing field? So if I put it out and make it free with a non, no non-disclosure on it, then there'll be a whole lot more out there, companies with that information at the ready to maybe make a bid if these guys go hostile. Oh, very clever. Okay. So it was just a, a defensive ploy. And then we found, all of a sudden, this contest, the minds of investors, they were, it created confusion and dissidence and a memorable moment because they went, wait a moment, mining's primitive, at least in their mind. Yep. And the internet's modern. Um, I don't understand how they go together. And uh, that made it Especially very back in 2000. You know, we're, to, to, to our listeners out there, it's 18 years ago. And in those days, it was the beginning, wasn't it? Yes. it and it was very, I mean, nowadays we look at the internet and mining and, you know, new technologies yes. coming in all the time. But then, so tell us about who won the, the contest. Well, we had a lot of Aussie representation there. Just wanted to put that in because I kind of knew the answer. Dear listeners, yeah. have a listen to this one. So the. Uh, <coughs> we had uh, we wanted to have it like a match, so we had semifinals and finals, and the, we selected. We had a panel of judges. They selected the top 25 submissions. Then, and in there, six of the 25 were Australian, and I came away saying six of the 25 yeah. were Aussies. Go the Aussies! And I, I looked at that and said, "You guys are so much ahead of the rest of the world." in terms of the technologies you're applying to the mining industry. 
So I went down and I went and met with all of the semi-final winners from Australia when I was down speaking at a, a mining show there. Yep. So um, one was at uh, Melbourne Institute of Technology and they went... Yep. Oh, we just got, excuse me, guys. Guys, could you be quiet for a moment? We're just doing an interview. Thank you. Um, and these four students, third-year engineering students, had been convinced to enter our contest. They were semifinals. I went to the school and said, hey, um, I'm here. Can I, you tell me about your submission? And halfway through, I said, you might be wondering why I'm here, but I'm here to tell you you just won a semifinal prize. You're going to get $10,000 at the time. Your dollar was 50 cents US, so that's like 20 grand. And the school said to them, you can have it. These guys just went to the ceiling and said, hey, mate, we've got to go for some beers, <laughs> which we did. So you had a few beers, Dylan. So we had a few beers. Yeah. And then, so they were one of the semifinals, but the winner was a collaborative effort between um, Vic Wall and Nick Archibald. Nick Archibald, I did see that, yeah. And, and the, the two of them had found themselves sitting in someone's reception area. A meeting had backed up, so they're facing each other, trying to pitch a deal. They're both consultant, consulting groups. And I think Vic said, look, I, I think I can do the structural work on this, and, uh, but I can't do the other. And Nick said, well, I could do that. And they went together and won first place on wow. this. Wow. That's, that's the power of collaboration. Yes. You know, yes. and I think that that's really important. And that sounds to me like that's part of your DNA, you know, collaboration, doing that open source with, you know, saying, let's, let's show everyone the data. Yes. And as a result of that, what happened? Did you... Did well, we, we spent half a million dollars uh, setting this up, and it was global. We, there were 1,500 people from... 50, 1,400 people from 50 countries that took down our data set. Uh, but it... It moved along, so half a million set up, half a million prize money, and we found $3 billion worth of gold. Okay, so one million USD investment. For three billion. And you ended up with three billion. It wasn't bad. That's quite, that's not a bad investment. Now, I'm just gonna finish off with two more things. You and your wife, Cheryl, you do a lot of philanthropic work. You've set up the Center for Regenerative Disease. And the McEwen Center for Regenerative Medicine in Toronto. Uh, recently, Bayer came along, Bayer Pharmaceutical, and they'd gone around the world and said, uh, this is the first place we're gonna put money. They've committed $225 million to the prospect of commercializing regenerative medicine. We didn't get all that. But uh, the work they're doing right now is on the heart where uh, they're injecting a billion uh, stem cells, heart stem cells into uh, a heart that ha they've had a heart attack in. Mm -hmm. And you have scar tissue and so the heart doesn't work as well and you yep. need a pacemaker or a transplant or uh, artificial heart. We've, uh, they've done it in small primates, they're doing it in pigs. In three years, there'll be human trials, and that would do away with pacemakers, artificial hearts, and heart transplants. Goodness me. So what I found is that, you know, you get something out of the ground, and you put it in your bank, and the bank account's really sterile. It's just a line. Yeah. Uh, but when you put it into something like this that could have profound effect on improving health care, for the world, Making it's much more gratifying. It, it, you feel like you're doing something that has back. great purpose. Yeah. yeah, Rob McEwen changed the world one stem cell at a time. <laughs> now, before we go, it's very important. 
Have you ever seen these? Uh, Tim Tam, no. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, as with all of my interviews now that we're coming into Series 3, uh, my subjects have got to try a Tim Tam. A Tim Tam is a very Aussie chocolate biscuit. Now, if you're allergic to chocolate... No, I love allergic, chocolate. You love chocolate? I love chocolate. Okay, so let's, let's see the uh, response, because David Morgan's response was pretty... Was it? Pretty good, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've got to tell you, he had two. I should say, just before I take a bite of this, yeah. that the Gold Corp Challenge showed me one thing. What's it showed that? me a number of things. But one very important was that the biggest gold mine in the world lurks between everybody's ears. And it's how do you connect those? Right? Sitting between yeah, each yeah. of our ears is yeah. the biggest gold mine yeah, yeah. in the world. So we have to work on ways of connecting uh, various thoughts. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, while he takes a bite of that, because I'm going to ask him one more thing on that, um, it's interesting you should mention that because I believe that right now we're in a very dangerous time in society. In other words, we're not connecting because everyone's burying their head into social media and they're all burying their head in their phones and they're not talking or connecting. Do you think there's going to be a reset at some point where we start to reconnect again and look into each other's eyes? Because this is what I'm seeing at the moment and it, it doesn't look healthy to me. Hopefully. Hopefully. I, I mean, there's a segment of the population that wants to talk ideas. They want to talk purpose and mission, and they don't want to get distracted on a Facebook or a tweet. Um, they want to go serious. And I think there's huge value in that collaboration. We will change the world in a very positive way. Love to hear that. Uh, Sorry, Rob McEwen, I know that you've got a plane to catch. I really thank you for your time. You're a busy man. Thanks for talking to us today on Magic and Mining. I'll be screaming Tim Tam all the way back to Toronto. <laughs> I love it. He loved the Tim Tam.